a lot there. Hey, if you haven't checked it out, BibleProject.com, TheBibleProject.com. Uh, I've played three videos in a row uh, during the series. Uh, you can go on to that website, and there is a video to every book in the Bible. Did you all know that? So what he does is right there, he does it to every book in the Bible. So maybe you don't understand a book in the Bible. You can go there and give an overview of what is going on. But today, we're going to go into the story a little bit deeper. If you haven't been with us, we're going to talk about Israel's wandering in the desert. Israel's wandering in the desert. And we're going to do something. I, I really felt led this week by the Lord to do something a little bit different. We're going to start in the New Testament. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. You can grab it. Uh, if you don't own one, it is yours to keep. Take it home with you. Do you realize that we've gone through over three boxes of Bibles because we've given that many away? That's cool stuff. So please, take it. It is yours if you don't own one. If you got a device, young people over here, I see all the dead serious about live people. Young people, get your device out. I'm sure they have it. All the uh, older folks are, what's a smartphone, right? So grab your device, uh, but we're going to do something a little bit different as well. We're going to stand in the honoring of reading of God's word this morning, and Zach is going to read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13 with us. Would you stand at this time? And let's give honor to God and his word this morning. Zach, it is all yours. For I I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and, they, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of, they, some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in reverently. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the accumulation of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Be seated. Did y'all catch it in the New Testament? That God is giving warning to you and me, to the church in Corinth specifically, about what happened in the desert during the time of Israel coming out of Egypt. I think this morning we're going to see every one of us in this room is going to be challenged by this story. We'll sing it here in a little bit. My heart is prone to wander. My heart is prone to leave the God that I love. Just like the Israelites. 
over and over and over and over again. They forgot who their God was and they wandered away from him. So this morning, I hope as we dive in, as we take a look at the story, specifically Numbers chapter 11 through 14. If you got your Bible, let's go there, Numbers 11 through 14. Flip all the way back into the Old Testament. Let's go to Numbers 11. But let's pray, and I'm going to have Soph read Numbers 11, verses 1 through 9. Let's pray. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for what you're going to do here in the next few moments. As we open up your word, I pray that, Lord, you would speak into every heart, every mind, every soul in this place. That, Father, we might know that you are a good God, a God who loves your children dearly. That you have called us out of darkness and into light. I pray that, Lord, you would set our hearts and our minds on Christ this morning, that we might know that he is good always. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you like road trips in the room? Come on, road trip people. Yes, road trip people. Let's go. Five best things about a road trip. Come on, audience participation. Snacks. We got some foodies in here. What else? Scenery. All right, I got scenery. Music. I heard a bunch of people say music. All right, music going good. What else on road trip? We are morbid people. We like the exciting arguments inside of the vehicle. Anybody with family, the exciting arguments? All right, anything? One more. Making great time. That's my kind of guy because I always drive the speed limit. Right, Dean? Yes. Three worst things about a road trip. Let's go. Gas prices. I heard that real loud. All right, gas prices. What? Construction, thank you. Construction, bad drivers, and boring arguments. <laughs> you got to say, I have a feeling about Zach's life. He likes things drama filled. All right, road trips. Well, the nation of Israel is on a road trip, as we're going to see today. If you haven't been with us, we've taken a look at the nation of Israel. They've been in captivity in Egypt for over 430 years. God has rescued them, brought them through the Red Sea, and now they're in the Sinai Peninsula, and they are traveling along, and things are going to get a little bit hairy for the Israelites over the next few years. There's going to be a lot of ups and downs on the road trip. As we're going to see this morning, they are traveling along, and the people are not too happy about being in a desert. Anybody been in a desert before? Anybody? Desert? Not a lot going on there, right? You know, sometimes you have 100 mile between gas stations. So all you who are snacking foodies are dying because you don't have drink and snack. And the Israelites we're going to see here in a moment are not too happy. So let's go to Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And Sophie's going to read for us this morning. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Go ahead, Soph. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabra, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, and onions and garlic. 
but now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Let's go. If you got your notes this morning, let's go on this road trip with the Israelites and discover and learn a few things. The first is this. Enjoy God's provision instead of complaining. Enjoy God's provision instead of complaining. Have you ever found yourself on a road trip and you were desperate for either a rest stop or you were dying for something to drink or for maybe the bathroom? Anybody ever on a road trip, you were in desperate need, you're like, please pull the vehicle over, we need this. Only to have the vehicle be pulled over and you walk into the bathroom and it is absolutely the filthiest bathroom you've ever seen. Anybody in the room? Yes? Okay, let's get personal in here. How many of you at that point leave the bathroom without doing your business? Anybody? And say, let's go to the next stop. Yes? All, all of the people who um, are bathroom snobs just raised your hand on that one, right? Here's what's happened to the Israelites. God has provided for them, but they don't like it. Have you ever been there before? God provides for you. God provides for me. But we don't think it's good enough. We see here in the desert, the Israelites have been provided water and food. And God has given them this thing called what? Manna. What is it? It's weird, but it's not good enough. Let me give you three things we see in this text about the Israelites complaining and see where we get to. The first is this, in verse 1 of chapter 11 in Numbers. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. God, this is so hard. You let us out of Egypt, but it's getting so hard. Never been there before. God's made a way for you, brought you out of captivity, but we complain over and over and over and over again. In fact, it got so bad that Israel's like, would you just send us back into slavery? Would you send us back to Egypt where we knew what the outcome was going to be? We knew we were going to wake up in this morning and we were going to go out and we were going to serve the Egyptians and they will beat us and they will yell at us and they will scream at us, but at least we know what we got. And so the Israelites complain about their hardship. They're actually now grumbling that God ever even rescued them from Egypt. The second thing we see here in verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if we had only meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this, what do you call it? Manna. 
So God, is, every morning, is raining down this bread-like substance on the land, and they would gather the bread-like substance called manna, and they would gather it together, and they would eat of it. But it wasn't good enough for them. What do they want? Any carnivores in the room? Anybody? Come on. Yes? I just want a steak dinner. I'm tired of the appetizer breadsticks. I'm tired of the bread. Give us the steak. Give us the filet mignon. Give us some meat. It's not good enough for them. And so what does God do in humor? I think this is humorous. Read the story. What does he do? What does he provide them with? Quail. <laughs> no cow. Give me quail. In fact, the Bible says he provides quail, and they covered the earth so much you couldn't even walk without hitting a quail. God in his humor says, my man is not good enough. I'll give you quail. What is quail? It's a bird flying at you. I can only imagine the Israelites, the scene, they're like waving at these quail, and all of a sudden what? This is your meat. Kill it. Eat it. This is what you get from me. God's anger was aroused that they were complaining over and over and over again. Then flip over with me, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Flip one page over. Let me read this, and then I'll go into verse or chapter 14. Most of his own siblings are not happy. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. Bria married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Well, hasn't he also spoken through us? Y'all get the picture? Anybody ever have a sibling rivalry? Yes? Yeah, sibling rivalry is in the room. And your mom or dad's favorite? No, okay. We, no, no, over here. We'll go over here. Mom and dad's favorite over here? Anybody mom and dad's favorite? Yes, somebody, yes, yes, me. Adam, I know you are mom and dad's favorite. <laughs> Adam's the man. Adam's the baby. I don't want to go further with that, but I'll leave that alone. And so they complain. Numbers 14. Flip over another page. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. That night all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. We're in this wilderness here. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses, you're not good enough anymore. Moses, what are you doing? Moses, quit listening to the Lord. Listen to us. We know best. And so they begin to devise a plan. How do we get rid of Moses? How do we get rid of Aaron? How do we get our own leader in here? Ever been there before? The Israelites are ungrateful. The Israelites are complainers. They're grumblers. For many of us in this room, we become ungrateful as well. We love to complain, don't we? 
Okay, so maybe it's just me, but this week God's been really convicting me hard this week just going through this passage. I have found myself over the last few months being a grumbler and a complainer. I've become a cynic. I've gotten jaded on the inside. Anybody ever gotten jaded before on the inside? And all you do is grumble and complain about things. There's no heart of gratefulness or gratitude or thankfulness. You ask for a new job, God provides you a new job, but then you grumble because it doesn't pay enough. Oh God, if you would just give me something with a little bit more benefits, a little bit more money, I just provided you a job. But all you want is what? You want to grumble and complain about the job. Some of these young people, you're going to ask for a spouse. God, would you, would you put the right person in my path? But God sends you someone, and then all you do is grumble and complain about your spouse. They're not good enough. They're not like so-and-so. So-and-so's husband or wife treats them better. If you would only give me so-and-so, life would be better. You don't believe me? Ask the people who are married in this room. Right? God, why can't I have that person's spouse? They treat me, they would treat me so much better. And God's like, man, I provided you with a partner. And they're far from perfect, but bud, look in the mirror, you're far from perfect as well. In fact, you guys need each other. To walk with each other, to hold each other, to deal with each other's problems and flaws and brokenness. Welcome to the world, Chris. It is broken. It is flawed. There's no marriage that is perfect. You may see it on Facebook if someone had an unbelievable date night. They were complaining in bed when they got home. There is no perfect marriage. There isn't. And God has provided for you. God, if you'll only give us kids one day, if you'll only give us kids one day, and then you have kids and parents in the room. Parents, we spend the next 18 years of our lives complaining about our kids. For some of us, it's beyond 18 years. It keeps going even after the kids are out of the house. Hey, dead serious about life. You, you haven't been here before, but I tend to get personal here. God brought this to my attention for you guys last night. Maybe you asked for a certain role in Dead Serious About Life play. I want that role. I, I think that role would fit well. And so you try out for that role and what happens? They give it to somebody else. And you're like, that person's not as good as me. I could have played that role so much better than them. And God's like, I gave you a role inside of an awesome play. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. God has provided. But our hearts are like the Israelites. We grumble and we complain. I'm watching it my own kids, and I'm reminded here in the next two months, it's Christmas time. And I grumbled last night. I grumbled yesterday on the phone with my parents. I, I ref four basketball games yesterday. I'm trying to ref right now. 
making extra money for Christmas. And I grumbled. I'm like, I just made 112 bucks in four games, and we're going to buy those kids some gifts, and then they're never even going to open them up and do anything with them. not giving you a gift, bud. But all you want to do is grumble about it. I've given you legs to go run up and down a basketball court. But you just want to complain and grumble. Man, I'm so much like me. What about you? Where are you grumbling and complaining about right now? Where do you need to see that God has given you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace? His mercy is new every morning. You woke up this morning with breath in your nostrils. Be thankful. You've walked into this room to sing the praises of God. Wake up. He is good. And his love endures forever. And yet we complain. The second thing I want you to see out of this passage is this. Trust God's instruction and not your eyes. Trust God's instruction and not your eyes. I graduated from Asbury College, now at University in Wilmore, Kentucky. And in the back, really, hills of Kentucky, there's some interesting scenery. One of those happened to be there was a road that led through a creek in the middle of the road. Have you ever seen that before? There was no bridge. And so my buddies went down one night, and they came back, and they're like, dude, you got to go down there. It'll freak your eyes out. Because you'll pull up to this creek, and you can see it's running quite swiftly. And you're thinking, how do I get across? And they're like, you just take your car, and you start driving through. But you're thinking the whole time, I could get swept away. And so I was like, dude, let's do this. Small problem, I went at night. After a rainfall. Because I'm not too smart. And I remember going down that road, and I'm like, wow, we are in the back sticks of Kentucky, man. This is crazy. And all of a sudden, we came up about 40 miles per hour. We came up on this curb, and there it was in front of us. And it was swift. In my head, I'm thinking, I have seen the documentaries on Weather Channel, right, of cars being swept down rivers, and I'm thinking, am I supposed to do this? I pulled up, my buddy's like, do it. Just do it. And I look at him like, well, you're not the one driving. He's like, just do it. So we went through, and the whole time my eyes are saying, don't do it. But my buddy keeps saying, do it. Trust me, it's going to be okay. We made it through. I was like, dude, that was sort of a rush. Because seriously, you're thinking, I could get swept away at any point after a rainfall. But it was awesome. And I learned something, that lesson. Don't always trust your eyes. They don't always see right. The Israelites have to trust God over their eyesight. Let's do this. Numbers 13. Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2. We read this a little bit ago, Julie did, before we sang Oceans. Let me start with verse 1, 2, and then we'll get down to 26 through 30. 
The Lord said to Moses, send me some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so they do. The 12 tribes, they send a leader. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and to the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported them, the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Starts off awesome. Do you see that? We walked in, man. You're right, man. You said God's going to lead us into a land flowing with milk and honey. If you don't know what that means, people, it, it means that there's a lot of goats and cows in the land. Now, in our day, we have technology all over the place. Hey, this is a farming community. What's important to farmers? Soil, but also what? Animals. He also said it is flowing with what? Honey. That's a weird reference. That means there's a lot of bees. What do bees go to? Flowers. There's a lot of vegetation. And so he's saying, you're right, there is plenty of milk and there's plenty of honey in this land. So things start off, and it sounds like, yes, let's do this. There's fruit everywhere. But... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified. They're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. What do their eyes see? What do their eyes see? We see the giants. Really, the reference here is actually back to Goliath, the Anak. These are the descendants of Goliath. They're ginormous. They're huge. They're large. And we see them, and we see all the other people that are in the land, and we don't know if we can overtake them. But guys, remember what God said to you when you came out of Egypt. I'm going to send you to a place flowing with what? Milk and honey. The promise was there. But their eyes couldn't see the promise. Their eyes only saw all the difficulties. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, Guys, we should go up. We should take possession of this land. Guys, we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Their eyes played tricks on them. They couldn't see what was in front of them correctly. See, here's the problem. The Israelites focused so much on the obstacles, they forgot about the promise of God and the one who promised all things, the promiser himself, the Lord Almighty. They forgot all of that. They've forgotten the promises of God. And sometimes I'm wondering, guys, if we don't forget the promises of God in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you realize that God has given you promises? And God is a covenantal God. He keeps his promises always. Not sometimes, but always. We don't always see them in the most immediate sense, but they're always coming. Got me thinking about some of these. Isaiah 41.10. 
So do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't know about you, maybe you have a difficult conversation you need to have with someone. This verse is coming to my mind when we have difficulties in life and difficult conversations. And God is saying, I'm going to go before you in the difficult conversation. Yet in front of you, you see a lot of turmoil and stress, and yet you don't see what I see, which is actually reconciliation coming your way. For some of us, we're having difficulty in financial circumstances. Philippians 4.19, here's the promise. My God will supply every need. Somebody underline need, not want, need, not want, need, not want. We get confused in America what a need and a want are. Do we not? Yes? We just had this conversation the other night at Life Group. Sometimes we forget it's the need. All of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're dealing with financially. I don't know where it is. I don't know what the struggle is for you. But the promise is this, that if you're in Christ, what is Christ doing? He will supply all of your needs. It's a promise. Bank on it. Cling to it. Pray it. God, I I know this. I know that you said you'll supply all of my needs. For some of you, you're lonely right now. Some of you young people, I've been really concerned about some of our young people here at church. Man, growing up in the schools today, brutal. There's always that idea that I have to prove myself to my peers. I'm watching some of our young people who are lonely, depressed. They don't have friends. I just want to encourage you with Jesus' words. I am with you how often? I'm with you always. I'm not leaving. Your friends may leave. Your peers may leave. But I don't leave. I'll be with you how long? Always. To the end of the age. Still for others of you this morning, you're struggling with sexual sin. Anybody notice that in 1 Corinthians 10? The Israelites struggled with sexual sin, and guess what happened? And one day, 23,000 of them died. God takes your sexuality and my sexuality seriously. He has created you. He has created me. He knows what he's doing with sex. He knows it. We forget that because we think we are the ones in control of our sexual lives. We are not the ones in control. God is the one who is laying down the rules and the principles. He knows how we're wired. And here's what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know why some of us in the room don't see God very often? I I have this as a pastor. I I don't know where God is. I don't see God. And sometimes it's because our sexual sin is in the way. We let our eyes wander. We let our minds wander. 
I've struggled through this. I've been open with you guys. I've struggled through this myself. And there are dry seasons, and I look back, and I'm like, my mind has wandered. My mind has not been set on Christ. It's been set on all the fleshly things of this world. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a promise. But the Israelites don't get the promise. They don't get the promiser. And so what happens to them, guys? What, what happens to the Israelites? Because they're disobedient. They wander in the desert how long? 40 years. For some of us in this room, our hearts have become cold and calloused. And I wonder how much of it is because of our disobedience. God has called us to places, he's called us to do certain things, and we keep giving him the middle finger and going, no, God, we'll do it ourselves. We got this. God's like, man, your heart's going to get calloused. Your heart's going to get hard toward me, and it's going to feel like I'm a million miles away because it's your disobedience. I'm right here. You're a child of God. He has not left the marriage. He is still in the marriage. But you know, and I've used this example plenty of times, you know in a marriage you can be married, and yet it feels like you're in two separate homes. It almost feels like you're just roommates. And I can sense it back to some things that happened, some lack of obedience, some disobedience. Sometimes that you didn't cultivate the relationship. You didn't draw near to your spouse, and guess what happened over time? It became calloused and hard. This is what's happening with Israelites. Their disobedience has led to wandering. But it doesn't have to be this way, which leads us to our last thing that we need to discuss this morning. Todd's paths lead to life. Sin's path always leads to? Church has got it. If you're not with our church, if you've not been with us, I say this all the time. Sin always, 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 always leads to death. And I didn't make that up. It's from James chapter 1. You could think you're getting away with it because you're sinning. You think you're getting away with it with God. But here's what's going to happen. It always leads to something that brings death. So God this morning is like there is two choices this morning. Would you choose life? It's like the road trip to one of the, I don't know if it's nuances or just stupidity out of me. I don't know what it is. But one of the things I do is if I go one route to Mount Orb, okay, so here's how I usually roll. We usually go eat after church, and I usually take Bodman over to Bardwell West and come in the back way to like La Rosa's. But I can't go back the same direction. So from there, I get onto the 32 ramp and take 32 back, and I don't hit Bodman. I go up to Eastwood here, and I go that way. It's weird, I know. I just don't like going the same way two times in a row unless I have to. Personally, I think it's I just like to see different scenery. I like to see different things. But I'm learning that there's actually multiple ways to go. In this sense, I go two different ways. And God is saying to us this morning, there are two ways to go in life. Either choose life or choose death. Deuteronomy, chapter 30. This is Moses' speech to the Israelites, the younger, who are going to enter the land. Because what happened to the older? Because they were disobedient? They died off in the desert. But God says this new people here, I want you to listen to this. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, 
blessings and curses. Now choose life. So you and your children, did anybody notice this? It affects your kids. Your sin affects your kids. My sin affects my kids. Whether I choose life or death today affects my kids. Well, it's all about me. It's not about you. It's about your family. It's about your lineage. It's about your friends. It's about your church. Do you love your kids? Choose life. It affects them. Now, you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. I love this. For the Lord is part of your life. Jesus never came to die for you to be part of your life. He is your life. He's not part of it. He's not like a piece of pie. He's all of it. So God, what should I do with my finances? What should I do with my marriage? What should I do with my parenting? What should I do with my job? What should I do, Lord? Not, Lord, you can have Sunday morning for an hour and a half. And Lord, I'll give you a little piece of my spouse's life with my marriage. I'll give you a little piece of that. But God, here, all this over here is mine. And God says, I won't play your game. I won't play your game. It's either all of me or none of me. Which is it? Because I am your life. And he will give you many years of land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the promise, the covenant is there. I promise this to you guys. So choose life. This morning, church, we have a choice in front of us. Either choose life or choose death. Cling to his promises. Cling to the one who promised them. Or choose your own route. You have the choice this morning. Welcome. And yeah, I'm finding myself so many times I'm like the Israelites. God keeps telling me to trust him, and I keep going, ah, I think my way's better, God. Because here's the reality, guys. Part of it is the consumerism culture. We like things that are easy and fun. Anybody in the room? Just give me easy and fun today. Pastor, you're getting a little too serious for me. I might have to think a little bit. I might have to use some brain cells. Give me easy and fun, Pastor. Dad, you're so serious all the time. Would you just loosen up? Just give me easy and fun. And yet, guys, the most serious things of life are typically what? Serious. Because your soul is on the line. Guys, eternity is in the balance. Is that not pretty serious? Your family is in the balance. Choose life. So I ask you this morning as we close out, where do you need to choose life this morning? Where do you need to choose to follow Jesus? Even when it's hard and it's difficult and it's grimy and gritty and ugh, ugh, this is hard and people won't like me, people won't accept me, and yet the Lord says, I am with you, how often? Always. 
And the next piece of good news is this. You have a church family that wants to rally and love on you. Church, could we be a church that rallies and hugs on each other? I know some, my wife's not a hugger, so give her a fist bump. But guys, we're the church. We've been called to love and to encourage each other daily to keep pursuing Jesus. He's worth it. He's life. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you right now, and we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your faithfulness this morning. Because, honestly, Lord, it's easy to wander. It's easy to leave the God that I say I love. It's easy to get distracted in this world. It's easy to get distracted in the life around me. It's easy to get distracted in our schools and in our jobs. And even in our homes, I pray that, Father, you would take a heart and you would seal them. As we sing this, you would seal them for the courts above your courts. Lord, may we choose life today instead of death. For some of us, may we get rid of the sin that so easily entangles our hearts. Paul says to put them to death, to sever them, to cut the head off the snake. So, Father, this morning, would you give us the grace to do that? Would you give us the power to do that? Would you give us the strength to do that? That temptation is coming our way, as we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 10. Temptation is coming our way. Would you give us the strength to say no to sin and say yes to Jesus? To choose life today instead of death. Father, we need you. We ask that you would do your work amongst us in the next few moments. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for his grace. In Jesus' name we pray.